sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, 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 tennis, hockey. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 68 of Knox and Pucks. I'm Evan Kenny. Joining me, as always, is Eric Bay. E. Bay, how's it going, buddy? What is going on, guys? Back from a little bit of a break here, but still ready to give you a ton of NHL action because it is a busy time of year, including today, which is a protected list eve in the NHL. And Evan, you're an Oilers fan. How are you feeling when you got to see who the, who the Oilers are exposing tomorrow to the Seattle Kraken? You know, I'm feeling okay, eBay. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording here. I think as an Oilers fan, you know, I was hoping that that Caleb Jones was going to be the player picked. Obviously, he's no longer an Edmonton Oilers, so that cannot happen. But I think the Oilers have some options. Um, you know, even not just some younger guys like Jones, but maybe maybe even a couple cap dumps. Who knows, you know, how those the behind-the-scenes trading is going to work this year. But maybe, you know, a guy – couple guys you brought up actually before we started recording Chris Russell James Neal you know those are two guys who very easily could be taken from the Oilers and uh I would not be upset if either one of them was taken you know get some more money to to spend on some old players some old D-men again so yeah I, I I'm feeling pretty good as an Oilers fan I think there's a couple different ways it could go but I think it'll shake out okay for the Oilers what about you uh with the Flames buddy I just don't know the Oilers real quick. I think the uh, the one benefit to you guys not having any depth is the fact that in a situation like this, you're golden. And like you said, I think best case scenario is James Neal. I think worst case is a, a guy like Chris Russell, maybe even Kyle Turris, depending how the Oilers go in protection. But for the Flames, for me, it's a different story because I think obviously you have to protect all your big forwards. And especially with Milan Lucic in there with his no move clause, then you're you're kind of stuck because you have seven forwards there that have to be protected, and that leaves you with only three slots for D-men. And obviously the big thing we've been hearing recently is the possibility that Mark Giordano is left exposed because in my mind throughout this all, it's kind of been Chris Tanev, the odd man out for me. But when you hear everything that between him and Gio being those, those last two guys who are fighting for that one protected spot, that makes sense to me as to why they would be the guys there. And it's going to be interesting because Mark Giordano, obviously 37, he's been the Flames captain, has been with them through some some pretty dark and lean years here in the early 2010s, that is. And you look at what he's done for this franchise. He's only got one year left. Like I mentioned, 37, the wheels are starting to kind of fall off. But I still think he might have, you know, three good years left in him or at least solid years won't be the same you know workhorse kind of defender and with Chris Tanev I mean I think he's been the the best free agent signing the Flames have made in in quite a while he was maybe their best defenseman last year really elevated Noah Hannafin so I think to lose him would also hurt this team so either way I think the Flames are going to lose a good player and it's it's going to suck when we find out the list tomorrow that's for sure. Now I don't know if this is better as a Flames fan, but I guess here's a different option that Seattle could look at. What about a guy like Mangiapane, right? He had the fantastic uh, world championship. That might have boosted stock a little. It's probably not good enough to really be in that top group of forwards for the Flames. That's a potential pickup for Seattle. How do you, would you rather that over one of those two D-men? That still hurts because, as I've said multiple times, the problem with the Flames is heart and compete when it comes to the playoffs. And Mangiapane 
plays and competes and he just had a great world championship with Canada. He's one of the very few guys in my mind who is almost untouchable in the Flames for that reason when everybody talks about the fact that they have to shake up the roster, make some trades. Well, to me, Mangiapane is definitely a guy who I want in Calgary going forward. And to me, he's one of those seven forwards you almost have to protect. So I could, I guess, see that as a possibility maybe that they say, hey, we'll leave this guy exposed. We'll protect, you know, some other forward like Brett Ritchie or something. Because, again, there's not much once you get past those, those six, seven guys who are currently signed by the Flames. So there's not much there, right? But, hey, we'll leave him exposed, leave our D-man alone and, and kind of work to this guy. So, I mean, that is always an option. But... To me, it's almost not an option from the Flames' perspective because, again, this guy has been solid throughout. He's still signed to a very manageable cap hit. And, again, I just love his compete. He works hard, and he scores those, those dirty goals that you need. And, again, when you look at some of those guys who, who kind of, you know, go away in the playoffs, Mangiapane is not one of them for the Flames. From an Oilers perspective, I kind of feel the same about Josh Archibald, maybe a little less on the offensive uh, side of things, but a little more maybe, you know, you talk about the compete, obviously Josh Archibald hits everything in his path. So I know where you're coming from. He might not be, you know, your number one stat sheet guy, but those are the kind of guys that you need if you're ultimately going to win, right? Yeah, and again, too, signed to a very manageable and, and easy-to-stomach cap hit. He's only 28, so that's why when I say, like, Kyle Turris to me is almost a guy who would be exposed by the Oilers. And, again, when you look at this list, I mean, Ethan Bear, obviously still young, could potentially develop, but had a tough season here last year. Chris Russell is what he is at this point. So for the Oilers, I don't think they're, they're going to lose much, in my mind, when you look at who they have to protect. And, again, obviously, everybody is holding off on signing their contracts until the the protected lists in this draft happens. So I think the Oilers are positioned well to still be kind of the same team as after, but the Flames, however this goes, could have a huge hole to fill this coming off season. Well, yeah, and I guess, you know, a huge thing too, which we don't know yet, or I guess, you know, maybe people will know by the time they listen to this episode, but eBay, you and I recording, we don't know yet, you know, who's getting traded from teams, what they're talking about, you know, so that Maybe a guy like Giordano doesn't get picked, but he can still be unprotected, right? So, you know, who knows how this will all shake out, uh, you know, moving forward here. Because that obviously, you know, we saw it with Vegas. That's a huge player when it comes to the expansion draft. Yeah, and when we talked to a little bit before here when we were talking about stuff, and that's one thing we've heard as well the last few years even before kind of the Kraken were even close to making this draft was the fact that a lot of teams learn from the last go-round and maybe aren't going to be willing to make those deals and are going to kind of, you know, stomach the loss and move forward because really those deals is what kind of set up Vegas for this incredible run and this, this great expansion team and story here is just the fact that they were able to either get these draft picks which they, they then traded for guys like Mark Stone, like Max Pacioretty, right? Or, you know, you got these, these guys, these prospects in these side room deals like Alex Tuck, Shea Theodore, who are now your cornerstones on this team. So I think that, that really they, that teams maybe won't want to do that because I think that if you're the Flames, I don't think the first round pick is in play because they really need that, that high prospect help. But if not, I think it's got to be a, a top prospect almost for a guy like Gio, who is your team captain, heart and soul guy, and could lead a Kraken franchise. And do I want to give up a Jacob Pelche or a Connor Zary? I mean, I might be able to, to waver on Zary, but to me, Pelche, again, you look at his compete level, what he's shown, it's a no-go for me. So again, are you going to bite the bullet now and lose a guy who is potentially 37, right, and almost done? Or are you going to lose the future for a guy who might play 10 years on your team? So 
it's definitely something to weigh and it's it's a tough one for GMs and you know a lot of GMs might be staking their their job on, on this draft here eBay, you, you brought up, you know, setting up Vegas for a run. Obviously, you know, it's been a couple weeks now since the Stanley Cup was handed out. And Vegas was not that team hoisting it. Well, you know, obviously uh, a semifinal loss isn't too bad. But the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, are the Stanley Cup champions. It's been a while since we had a podcast. So we still have to break that down for you guys. Uh, they are the eighth team to have gone back to back. Ebay, I guess just what, you know, obviously we talked about Tampa throughout this playoff run, you know, a number of things, just how deep they were and how there were zero holes. And really that, that seemed to prevail throughout that Stanley Cup finals there. Yeah, and I think it was huge for them to not only cement themselves as maybe the best team of the, well, I mean, it's 2021, so decade is, is still pretty young, but the last 10 years, right? I mean, you think back, I, I try to think as to a team that's deeper, you know, maybe the, I guess if you want to go to the early decade, the 2010 uh, Chicago Blackhawks, but even then they had started to sell guys off after that, right? So I think that you look at this team, they did a masterful job of managing the cap. You know, you talked about Nikita Kucherov and, you know, the possible shady deal with the devil there that he, you know, sat out all season to come back in the playoffs. But I think the one thing that I do want to mention is I think it was huge that they win this year, not that it was necessarily in doubt in the final, but it was huge they win this year because I mentioned the Blackhawks. And I think now this is kind of the stage after Tampa goes back to back, we're going to start seeing this team have to sell off some guys like the Blackhawks did trade away a few up and comers. And you look at these Blackhawks players that they, they hadn't got rid of. I mean, Dustin Bufflin, Andrew Ladd, Christopher Stieg, these were guys who were pretty serviceable on their teams and became studs in other places, right. And earned $8 million contracts. I mean, I think this is what we're going to see from Tampa and I'm not too sure we're ever going to see a team that has this depth for the Lightning in, in the future because, again, they have a lot of big contracts and we're able to kind of game the system in a way, if you want to put it that way. And I'm not too sure because especially look at even this offseason, I don't think Barkley Goodrow or Blake Coleman are going to be able to come back because they're going to be too expensive and it's going to be interesting how Tampa works this one. Yeah, no, just looking at their uh, their contracts, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight forwards who get paid at least four and a half million dollars. How many teams have that and can keep that going and keep that up for, you know, however long? Some of their defense uh, have a little more team-friendly deals, but obviously they still have Victor Hedman making almost eight mil and Ryan McDonough makes almost seven mil. So, yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, some of those free agents, Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman, who, you know, were two-thirds of probably the best third line in the NHL with, uh, with Gord there between those two. So, yeah, I don't think this is going to be the same Tampa team moving forward. Obviously, they still have that, you know, top six or top eight that I mentioned there when it comes to contracts, at least. They still have those top guys, you know, to make up that core and, and still be a competitive team, but definitely not going to see the same group, uh, you know, moving forward next year. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. You know, maybe, maybe they'll prove us wrong. And, you know, obviously you, you brought up the Blackhawks comparison. They had to dish out all these uh, fantastic players, but you know, 2012, 13, that lockout year, they were back and they won the cup. So I guess, you know, how they maneuver these players and how they they bring in different guys for the assets that they have to give away that'll be huge uh moving forward there 
Yeah, I think the the question now is because I still think when you look at all these top guys and kind of their ages, I would say that their window is at least three years, if not more. So the question is how many cups, right? Can they three peaks? I think that at least the bar has to be set at those Blackhawks teams of the early 2010s. And I think that three is probably at least the goal for this team. And I think it's definitely manageable because you look at the other teams there. Yes, there are some good ones, but I still don't think that any team, even when you are going to lose guys like Goodrow, like Coleman, they had other guys kind of step up here and guys on those cheaper deals that will have to fill in that fourth line, third, fourth line. But this still looks like a really good team to me. And I think that a third cup is definitely within reach. And as I say, I think they're probably the best team since those 2010s Blackhawks. Well, and just, you know, looking at some of the guys, uh, you know, that they most likely will be losing, but as well as some guys that they could replace those players with. I mean, uh, you know, David Savard, obviously they just traded for him at the deadline. He made a huge difference when it came to the playoffs, but, you know, they've, they've won without him before. They made it to that point pretty much without him. Uh, I think they could find somebody to replace him, but that's not, you know, a key replacement piece. Luke Shen, same sort of thing, right? You can find a, a D-man that you can pay, you know, $900,000 or a million dollars who could, could fill in somewhat to that position. But these third liners, I'm interested to see, you know, who from that younger group will step up. We saw Matthew Joseph play, uh, you know, quite a few minutes. Colton Ross, or Ross Colton, rather, the guy with two first names. Um, he's an RFA this year, but, you know, I'm sure they could figure out a way to qualify him and, uh, you know, get him in there. He obviously played a huge role down the stretch there. So I'm interested to see how they fill in those pieces because with that core group, obviously they have a shot at a three-peat like you mentioned, but they definitely need to fill in those holes if they want to be that same caliber team. Yeah, I think the big thing though is that the the one main thing for me is the fact they have Andre Vasilevsky in net for the next like six, seven years. And as long as you have that guy who, in my opinion, I think at this point is best goalie in the in the world, I, I think you could definitely make that argument. And you look at what he did, five straight series clinching games with a shutout. I mean, the guy was outstanding, definitely deserved the con Smythe. And you look at what he does. I mean, he doesn't necessarily need to have all these guys in front of him and have that top tier third line because he's going to make up for the fact that you maybe lack the depth you had in years past. And again, this is still a good team. And I don't think there's any team deeper or, as you say, can boast a team like this where you do have, you know, six, seven guys making over four and a half million on the forward core. You have one of the best D men in the world in Victor Hedman. Nikita Kucherov has a 126 point season under his belt. Steven Stamkos may not be the 60 goal scorer he once was, but is still outstanding. Braden Point is Braden Point, right? Consistent. We'll give you a point per game in the playoffs. Yanni Gord, as you mentioned, you can just go down this list. This team is so good. And unless injuries hit something like that, I don't see them, you know, being out of the Eastern Conference final, Stanley Cup final conversation for, for a few years to come at least. Well, and uh, eBay, you know, Vasilevsky, they have them until the summer of 2028. So, yeah, they're okay in that department for uh, a little bit. Let's touch a little more on Vasilevsky. Obviously, you know, Con Smythe, what was it? Five shutouts in game or in series clinching games there. I mean, this guy was an absolute beast. We talk about the Tampa offense, the Tampa power play, you know, even the Tampa defense led by Victor Hedman there. 
And for how good Vasilevsky is, and I know obviously he's had some honors, I don't think he's quite appreciated to the level that he should be. Yeah, well, I definitely think that you look at this team and it's almost uh, a lot of people might chalk it up to the fact that he does play behind all these great players. And I think that does make sense as an argument, but you can't deny the fact that he won two back-to-back series clinching games, one to nothing, including a game seven against a stingy New York Islanders team that could have gone either way, right? And might have ended this whole story in the, in the conference finals. I'm not too sure what conference they were with the, the whole realignment and everything, but ended in the conference finals, the Stanley Cup semis, if you will. And without him, right, it, this could be a whole different story because you do need that guy to stop pucks. I mean, the Blackhawks, that's the one thing about the Blackhawks is Corey Crawford, I think, was a very solid goalie. But with Antiniemi, they never really had that that top-tier goalie the first time they won. And this team just has it all. And I think that's really the big difference when you look at one team to another and compare them is that there is almost zero holes in this Tampa team across the entire board. And that is just amazing to me because you literally could roll three forward lines if you wanted to, and you don't have to necessarily sit your five and six D-men on the bench the entire game and roll Hedman and McDonough for 30-plus minutes a night, right? So I think that that's just tough to overcome. And the one thing we haven't talked about much in this point is Montreal, but I think they should be commended too for their run and really sticking in there in some tough games. Like we say, game five, they won nothing. They won a huge game four. There were some chances, but again, just too much to, to overcome a Tampa Bay team like this. Yeah, let's jump over to Montreal here a little bit. Obviously, they didn't win, so I don't have that much on uh, on Montreal. But Cinderella story, right? They surprised literally everyone. Nobody thought that they would make it, you know, past game six of uh, of the first round there, let alone to game five of the Stanley Cup Finals. So, you know, kudos to them for that, obviously. Um, you know, we were talking, now there's been some news about uh, Shea Weber as of late, you know, just with the, the future, really, of his whole career, not just his time with the Montreal Canadiens, but how huge was Shea frickin' Weber for the Montreal Canadiens this postseason? Yeah, we've both mentioned a guy that we looked up to in our favorite D-men growing up, and that's the thing that shocks me the most is the fact that, in my mind, he was the second-best Canadian out there in the Stanley Cup final, at least, other than Carey Price, obviously. And the fact he did that while playing hurt and with injuries that, for the looks of it, might sit him out the entirety of next season, if not his career, right? And he was an absolute force, and to me, I mean, he wasn't the, he was, I wouldn't say the difference maker might not be the right word because he wasn't putting up the goals or scoring uh, in game four there when they won, but he changed the tone. He had multiple big hits, crushing guys into the glass. I mean, this was vintage Shea smash Henrik Zetterberg's head into the glass playoff Weber, you know, like this was the guy that we saw growing up that always played that rough and tough style, had some good shots. I think, who was it? Was it, it wasn't Gord, was it that, that blocked that shot or who drew, I think. Yeah, Goudreau took it off the knee there and, you know, knocked him out for a bit. And there was a lot of talk from the broadcasters, you know, is he going to be done? Because, I mean, that was, what, a 101-mile-per-hour slapper from a Weber, a Weber bomb, a guy that was going toe-to-toe with Sedano Chara in the hardest shot competition for five, six years there. I mean, he really did it all and was an absolute force. And it was it was pretty good to see. And I just want to say – uh you know, obviously there was a lot of talk when he was first traded for P.K. Subban back in what now, 2015? It's been a long time now, hard to say. But 
almost everybody on social media was saying how this was a huge win for the for the Predators. They they totally swindled the Canadians. And I said to my dad, I mean, I'm not too sure, right? And look who's still playing with his team, leading them to a Stanley Cup final. And look who's in New Jersey doing who knows what right now. So kudos to Shea Weber. If this is the end, it's been a fantastic career and so much fun to watch. You know what? If this is the end for Shea Weber, obviously I would be heartbroken. But it is a good way to go out. I mean, the guy had never made it to the cup finals. Obviously, he didn't get exactly what he wanted, but, you know, made it to the finals. Can say he's been there. Um, yeah, it would be tough. But, you know, I, I'm excited, you know, kind of, I guess, Shea Weber's not the past yet, but pretty close to being the past of the NHL and of the NHL's future. But looking at the NHL's current future, especially when you look at uh, – Montreal there. Suzuki, holy is that guy filthy. He's got eyes on the back of his head. And Caulfield, the kid can score goals from wherever. I had serious doubts about him, you know, even even uh, throughout this year, watch him at World Juniors. Okay, I thought obviously he was good, but he was good against 19-year-olds, not against men. Seeing him in these playoffs, Montreal has a hell of a future coming up. Yeah, they definitely have the pieces there. I think, again, though, and it's almost been the entire problem is how are you going to fill in around this? Because we've been saying for 10 years this team needs a center. Now they've got one at least, it looks like, in Suzuki, right? So we have to see now how they can kind of fill this out. I mean, Philip Deneau is a free agent this offseason. They could lose some guys. And again, as we mentioned, this is a Cinderella team. I still don't think they have the depth to, to make it there. Carey Price, as unbelievable as he was for, you know, 20 games this playoffs, he has not been that guy in the regular season for the past two, three seasons even. So they're going to have to find a goalie here in the future as well. So I think there's a lot that they're going to have to do to become that cup contender. But I do agree with you in the fact that there are the pieces there. But again, can Mark Bergevin supplement them and create a team because that's really been his biggest problem since he took over is finding those guys to really build into a contender. I, Philip, don't know if they're going to be a contender in the future. How long were you, were you sitting on that one? Since you said his name, it was in my brain. <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> yeah. Could be better, but it's, uh, it's something at least. But uh, eBay, do you have anything else about, uh, about these cup finals before we uh, keep this ball moving? No, I think that it'll be fun, a fun storyline and really big for the NHL, especially as they start to transition to ESPN here, starting with these drafts that Tampa Bay, can they be the three-peat? Are they going to be the evil empire as far as that can go in hockey and where we go from here? So it's going to be exciting to watch this go forward and congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Great, great cup run. For sure. Congrats to them. And uh, as well, congrats to their fans who actually get to, you know, celebrate and enjoy this win. Uh, this year with so, a damaged cup yeah with a freaking bent thing that's like half the size the cup should be <laughs> i don't care what patrick maroon says if he really did slip on concrete or not i don't not sure i believe him but that's embarrassing i, I don't mind the odd ding or dent because it's going to happen but this is a stanley cup come on show some respect i think it's kind of funny i mean i guess it's a little different than uh what's the nfl the lombardi super bowl trophy yeah the vince lombardi trophy <laughs> Yeah, like I guess it's a little different than when they uh, they put that 
baseball dent in that one. But, uh, you know, I think it adds character, you know, the celebration that's part of the win, right? I just think for me like that too, you can even mention the World Series trophy that's been dinged, the flag's been bent, including by the Boston Red Sox in 2018 because somebody chucked a beer at someone and they did not catch it. But, uh, you know, I just think with the cup, the fact that for me, it's that they don't make a new one every year, right? That Like they do the Super Bowl and the, the World Series, which is why it's so awesome in my mind. But I just think that when it's going to be around for multiple times, you got just got to show a little bit more respect and care, I think. It's a trophy. It's hard to win. Yes, you've done it three years in a row, Patty Maroon. So it's almost, you know, old hat at this point. But this don't drop it. Don't be throwing it across boats like, like the Lombardi trophy. Just, you know, a little respect, please. He's too excited to have an old friend back. <laughs> I guess so. Yes, I only, only gets to see him once a year, so it is tough. eBay, let's, uh, let's move on to a, another guy. Didn't win the cup this year, obviously, but he's got three in his back pocket, got a couple Olympic golds, and now he's joining the best franchise in the NHL. That's Duncan Keith, who the Oilers acquired. Uh, was that earlier this week or late last week? Good question. Um. <laughs> Sometime in, in the recent history, Duncan Keith was acquired by the Edmonton Oilers uh, for Caleb Jones and a third round pick. Before we break anything down, give me your general thoughts on this. Obviously, you're not an Oilers fan, so you're not quite as invested as I am into this specific deal. But what are your general thoughts here? I think first impression is that uh, looking on Twitter, a lot of vitriol from Oilers fans about this deal, not happy about acquiring Duncan Keith. I think for me, it's more so a wash to a slightly, uh, I would say slightly negative acquisition by the Oilers. That's just kind of my original feeling about the whole move in my mind. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm in the opposite. Obviously analytics are a huge thing nowadays, but if you go purely on analytics, I think it's a terrible deal, but you analytics don't make up a hockey player and don't make up the game of hockey solely on analytics. So I actually really like the deal as an Oilers fan. Um, and I guess I'll just jump into it eBay and then we'll go, we'll go from there. But as an Oilers fan, I heard Ken Holland actually went and asked his players how they thought. And uh, you know, I don't know if this was of multiple different D-men or just Duncan Keith, but they said that he was extremely hard to play against. Um, you know, not just obviously Duncan Keith does have that dirty, edgy style to him, which I love, but not just that, but his stick work, everything makes it hard to try and, you know, make moves, create offense against Duncan Keith. Now he didn't have the best statistical year when it comes to Corsi and that kind of bullshit. But like I said, stats only make up part of the puzzle. So his Corsi this year was actually better uh, than the season that Duncan Keith won the Stanley Cup in 2012-13, which also happened to be his last shortened season. So do we really want to trust Corsi all that much? Because the guys won a Stanley Cup in his worst statistical year. Now, obviously, he had a different group around him. So you know, whatever, but just keeping with the whole Corsi is bullshit argument. Tampa Bay, the winner of the Stanley Cup, the top team in the NHL, a team that eBay, you and I could not find a bad thing to say. They had a worse Corsi than the Calgary Flames. 
So what does that stat really show? I don't know. But I guess, I guess my thing then is we also then need to find some stats for, you know, his compete level, his w- leadership level, uh, you know, all these other tangibles that you can't find on some stats page. Because Duncan Keith, while he's still old, he's not the D-man that won three cups. I understand that. He still brings so many different sides to the game that you can't track. Okay, first of all, we can throw Corsi out of the equation. We already know that that's complete garbage. But anyway, Perfect. to get to the, uh, the actual stats, I'll give you one here. Minus 13 last season, only 15 points in 54 games. Obviously a guy who is known as that two-way defender. And I think that nowadays it's more so one way because he is 38. He does have a lot of miles on the tires right now. But for me, I won't argue with the fact that he does bring the leadership and all these other qualities. But for me, I think that's more of a finishing piece. You know, that's for a team that needs that just that little extra step to make it to the cup final and get to that next level. And the Oilers team, unfortunately for you, Evan, is not there in my mind. I mean, they were swept in the playoffs this year. They hadn't made it for two or three seasons before that. To me, when you acquire Duncan Keith for two years at five and a half million per, that is a move you make when you are, you know, conference final, stuck there, can't get over the hump, and then you bring in that cup experience to get you over there. And for me, I think that I don't not that I necessarily think that Caleb Jones is going to be a fantastic NHL or that third round pick could be too, but when you're going to acquire a guy for two seasons at that cap hit, I think there was other pieces you could could have used the sixteen million you had in cap space to at least beef up your team. Because we talked earlier, this is not a very deep roster behind McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I think you could have used every little ounce of that cap money that you did have before Keith was acquired to at least beef up your roster. Because I think that's the biggest issue for the Oilers now. And now they only have roughly 11 million cap space. Well, 4 million of that is probably going to Mike Smith, roughly, I would say. They have to either replace or re-sign Tyson Barry. So if you go kind of one for one there, that's another 4 million, roughly. And that leaves you 3 million to get another defenseman, possibly, or a forward, right? So I think that, again, while Duncan Keith, I'm not going to lie, does have the quality, the pedigree, and does bring some stuff, and I think is still a, a serviceable defenseman, maybe not at his cap hit, but a serviceable defenseman, I just don't think it's the move you make when you are so tight against the cap with those big contracts in McDavid and Dreisaitl. And so that for me is why I kind of lean towards negative for the Oilers, just in the sense that this still feels like almost staying in neutral. And while yes, it's a big name, it's not the the name you necessarily want at the time that you would like to have him in his career. You know what? That's a fair point. And uh, I did also forget to add uh, the whole cap side of things obviously uh anybody would want that five and a half at least part of it retained um i mean i don't know what the discussion was like obviously i'm not ken holland or uh stan bowman so obviously i don't know what that conversation was like and you would have liked to have that but you do bring up some good points maybe this is a a year early or you know however long slightly early um you know, I heard a lot of different people as well bringing up, uh, well, as soon as uh, Ryan Suter was bought out, you know, that that was a guy who could potentially, uh, you know, if the Oilers wanted to bring in that type of a defenseman, could have brought him in. Um, I guess then it's it's almost a question of like, well, do you think he really would want to come to Edmonton? 
think for me too, the fact is that at the very least, when you trade for Duncan Keith, you know what his cap hit's going to be when you go to free agency. Who knows what's going to happen or how much that cap gets elevated. So I think that I'm not going to hate on them for, you know, pulling the trigger, but I think you brought up a good point too in the fact that no salary was retained, especially when a team like the Blackhawks is hamstrung because Duncan Keith gave a three-team list. He's got the full no move. He gave a list of Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, saying Edmonton was his preferred choice and he can nix any deal he wants. So how, I guess, do the Blackhawks get such a good deal in my mind in terms of being able to offload the salary scot-free, get a young D-man and a prospect, or not a prospect, a pick rather, and the Oilers are left holding the bag in a sense. So I can understand why Oilers fans might be upset at that, but so I do think it's a little interesting in that case and maybe fleece there. But again, I'm not too sure it deserves the hate that it's been getting, but I, I think that's a bit of an overreaction. But I do think that it is maybe an interesting move to make at this time when this is, again, a team that has a lot of holes to fill and decided to fill one, I guess, with a guy who's 38 and making five and a half million. I guess so, yeah. Um, you know what? Here's the best case scenario out of this trade for me as an Oilers fan. Duncan Keith enters dressing room day one. Connor McDavid goes, hey, Duncan, nice to meet you. Here's my C. Duncan Keith is now the leader of the Edmonton Oilers, changes the whole attitude of the organization, and starts putting them towards winning ways. Next season, you know what? I'm not saying the Oilers win the cup next year, but two years after that, once Duncan Keith's got to leave his mark a little bit, Ooh, you better watch out. Yeah. Just rub, rub the three cup rings together. Everybody kiss the ring, sacrifice Hunter, the Bobcat at the altar to the hockey gods and boom cup champions. Good luck with that. Oilers logo on the floor. We now paste Duncan Keith's face down there. No, just a mural on the, on the outside of Rogers place looking right down one Oh fourth. It's beautiful. eBay, I'm glad you see the vision that I have in mind. Yeah, I'm just not too sure it's it's going to work out that that well as you plan. Well, I guess only time will tell, you know, getting back to the the real conversation here. Only time will tell and, you know, fingers crossed that Duncan Keith does actually pan out or I'm not even saying pan out, but isn't a waste on the ice. Cuz then I think it's a success cuz let's be real. Caleb Jones wasn't doing much in an Oilers uniform. I do think it'll be big off the ice for those young guys like Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg, if they do get to hang around him. But again, I'm not too sure as to the on the ice, if his impact is going to be worth this deal in the end. eBay, let's, uh, let's move along. Obviously, uh, you know, we mentioned one guy already getting bought out in Ryan Suter, uh, his teammate and, uh, I don't know what the connection would be called whatsoever, but the guy that he signed his contract with at the same time uh, in uh, Zach Parise. Yeah, I know. Very uh, weird transition there, but we'll roll with it. Zach Parise also got bought out. Uh, Each of them, I don't actually have their stats in front of me, so hopefully you do eBay, but each of them put up about 17 points, give or take, in the regular season. Uh, Parise had three points tied for the Minnesota Wild lead in the playoffs. I just, what, what are your thoughts on the buyout here? What an absolute failure these signings were. It is my first thought. I mean, they both got 13-year, $98 million packs when the, the big front-loaded deals were all the rage. And 
this was supposed to be the turning point, right? Because this was a team that with Marion Gabrick was an underdog and a scrappy underdog and overachieved. And then they kind of fell into a lull there. But this was supposed to be the, the guys that put them over the top. Zach Parise was just coming off a Stanley Cup Finals appearance with the New Jersey Devils. Ryan Suter obviously was the running mate of Shea Weber. And Pekka Rene, speaking of him, congrats on his retirement. But of those three guys in, in Smashville there when they were starting to make some noise. And they went for a team that was underachieving and, and or overachieving, that is, rather, and making the first round to a team that was underachieving and couldn't get out of the first round. And to me, what's most surprising about this is I'm not too shocked about Zach Parise. I mean, he's been hurt and injured for years now. He's definitely underperformed. But to to buy out both those guys at the same time, because I still think Suter is a serviceable defenseman. But have you seen the dead cap hit these guys are going to, to have? I mean, next year isn't too bad. But two years down the line, in total, $12 million on the books, 2023 and 2024. 14 million between the two of them against the cap and these and the Minnesota is willing to risk this to I assume allow them to protect Matt Dumba still I I just it's it's insane to me that they've done this and really hamstrung themselves for the next three years cap wise four years and I mean they got uh what's his name Kaprizov coming up who's uh RFA this summer yes and asking for 10 million dollars did you see that Oh my Lord, I didn't even know that, but that just builds on that even more there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm more shocked at the Ryan Suter one. I think that's what you were saying as well there. Like, like you said, he's a serviceable D-man, you know, obviously his point totals dropped a little bit, but he's still an absolute machine on the ice who can lug, you know, 25 easy minutes uh, per night and, you know, just, just smooth out that decor there. Um, Zach Parise, you know, he, he, I don't want to say he was a total waste on Minnesota because he, he did have a couple seasons where he, uh, got 30 goals. He had a 29 goal season, 33 goal season, 28 goals and a couple 25s in there. So he did do something at a little bit, but for the amount of money he was getting paid, he did not produce, uh, nearly enough. Now they did have that uh, a couple good years rather, um, you know, making the playoffs and doing some things. But I think uh, the overall narrative of those two contracts is underwhelming, underachieving, like you were saying, you know, just too much money, not enough production. And especially for, you know, Zach Parise, you know, he was coming off of some 50 goal seasons, pretty much. He was, you know, like a, a top of the league type of score and then really dropped off there. But so, yeah, I guess bottom line, a little surprise about Suter, Parise. Sorry, bud. It, it, it might have been time here. Yeah, and again, I just think that it's a lot of money to stomach over the next three to four years, especially if you do want to put this team in contention. Because as we've seen here, talk about the Oilers. You can chalk Minnesota up to this. You cannot pay these guys this much money and hope to kind of build around them and kind of find those those players. and. I mean, Minnesota, as we said, they had a good season. They overachieved in my mind, but I can't see them doing it again now. And I'm not too sure how, again, they're going to do it in two, three, four years' time because you cannot have $15 million almost in dead cap and expect to build a team. I mean, that is, that's three players. Could be four, right? Like, that is, that is some solid roster potential there that is being wasted in – in buyouts and that's just insane to me that they were willing to bite this bullet I'm not sure who signed off on this but that is shocking to me that they will have that much dead cap for 
four years now. Well, and I'm even looking, uh, you know, at their roster right now. Jordan Greenway, Kevin Fiala. Um, obviously, we just mentioned Kaprizov, right? Like, these are all guys who are going to be needing a, a new contract coming up in the near future. These guys are only 24 years old. Do you really want to sell your sort of future on, you know, sell these 24-year-olds and, you know, possibly they go elsewhere for more money because of this? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to say there. So, no, you're right. They, they are hamstringing their – hamstrung? Hamstringing? Something like that. Uh, their selves over uh, on this one. eBay, let's talk about another buyout here now. Keith Yandel uh, gets bought out by Florida. This one's just as surprising to me, if not even more surprising. I mean, the guy plays in pretty much every NHL game ever – um, he puts up quite a few points. I know a lot of those come on the power play, but you know who they don't ask how they ask how many, right? So he's a guy who still produces, still can be in the lineup each night, and they bought him out. Now I don't know what he was making, uh, you know, this past year and moving forward, but I'm surprised by this one. He was making well, his cap hit was six point three, but he was making five point seven five. I'm not overly surprised, I guess, by the buyout itself just because of how everything started this season with the Panthers and how they were going to sit him. And, uh, yes, he is a power play guy. I'm not so sure that he's really a top of the line, even a top four guy anymore. He only plays roughly 17 minutes a night this past season. Is 34 years old, but, again, he does play in every game. He does provide you uh, a service. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to put it. But to me, he's almost uh, a Tyson Berry at this point. I'm not too sure you want him out there in those defensive situations. He's more a specialist in my mind. But I still think he can definitely play. As, as you mentioned, he's half a point per game. And he's definitely one who can still kind of lead that power play, show some offensive guys the ropes here. And I think he'll definitely find a landing spot. I'm not overly surprised, like I say, about the, the buyout with the whole situation in Florida. But I do think that he is still a very good player and will continue to be so here in the in the near future. What did he have? I guess two years left at 6.3. I guess I can kind of see why you wouldn't want to uh, to continue to pay that full salary. Yeah, I can understand that a little more. I did not think he was making quite that much. I thought maybe high fours or low fives kind of thing. I could understand a little more, but... You know, obviously his, his offense dipped down a little bit this season, 27 points, but I'd still say he's a consistent, you know, 30-point D-man, 40-point possibly pushing it. But, you know, he still has some years, some juice left in that tank. I think, you know, maybe a, maybe a team who's, who's really pushing to qualify or to, uh, to make it to that cup, maybe even a team like uh, Vegas maybe, you know, obviously uh, – Alec Martinez is now going to be a free agent. Who knows where he signs moving forward, but they could possibly use someone like that. I mean, Vegas also has a sick power play with either Petrangelo or Theodore. So maybe not, but there's definitely some teams who, you know, if they want to be pushed over that hump could use Keith Yandel for sure. Yeah. I mean, his worst offensive season in the past few seasons was 2016, 17 and he, had 41 points. I mean, this year obviously shortened, but even last year only in a 69-game season had 45 points. So, I mean, he's he's three seasons removed from 62 points. Not too sure he'll ever get there, but 
like you say, I think he's a solid 40-point guy. And obviously this year was kind of weird with COVID and everything else. So I don't think you can totally blame him for, for dropping a little bit to that half a point per game mark. But he is definitely one guy who, as you say, is good at what he does and can help put up some points for a team and get the power play working. You mentioned Vegas's power play. I mean, they kind of stalled out against the Canadians. So it can never hurt, right? That's true. That's true. I honestly completely forgot about that, eBay. It's been a while since we saw that series last. That is true. It's been a long time. It seems like it seems like it's really flown by and we're almost into August now, right? Like we're over halfway through July. It's crazy. We're into the whole draft season. Yeah, for sure. So no, before you know it, it'll be summer camps again. We'll be back watching uh, NHL eBay, last uh, player that I have to talk about, at least, uh, is Nick Letty. Obviously, a huge, um, huge piece of their defense in the aisle. Uh, Nick Letty is being traded, or was traded, rather, to Detroit for Richard Panic and a second. Uh, now, personally, I do not like this deal when you look at the aisle. Nick Letty was a consistent 40-point D-man, only about 30 years old, uh, what, making about four and a half or five, I want to say, versus Panic, who, you know, I don't want to say his best years are behind him, but, you know, he had one season of, of 40 points, I believe, and I don't know if he's going to quite get back to that caliber here. Yeah, to me, this is totally a expansion draft Seattle Kraken thing in my mind you look at this roster I think they have to go the the eight best player route especially now that they've traded Letty because I think that there's a lot of forwards you would want to protect in terms of Anders Lee I mean really the heart and soul guy and this team kind of fell off offensively when he was hurt Matt Barzell is definitely on there I would put Jordan Eberle, JG Pajot, Brock Nelson I think you could put Josh Bailey as your as your sixth forward there so you go six forwards 2D in my mind and I think that this team probably would have wanted to to protect guys like Ryan Pollock and Scott Mayfield, who are both quite a bit younger than Nick Letty. So I think that this is straight up a Kraken issue. And if the, there wasn't an expansion draft, we wouldn't see this trade. So I don't think I can blame Lou Lamorello much for this one. It's definitely going to hurt them here in the short term. But I think it's what he had to do to not lose a guy for nothing. Letty also makes five and a half. So... I'm, I'm off on all of my uh, guesses here for salary here today. But, you know what, that's a fair point. And I guess they're getting second-round pick in return, and that's a, a Detroit second-round pick, so pretty much a first-round pick still. So, you know, I, I guess I can kind of see it a little bit. But, you know, since Letty, Letty got traded there at the same time as a Johnny Boychuk, and I feel like those two were so, so, so instrumental in – in sort of changing around, uh, you know, that culture of the Islanders. Obviously, Tavares was still there at that time, so, you know, he helped a little bit. But when those two came in, I felt like it was a real difference maker uh, kind of move. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I guess, not tough to see. That's the wrong word. But something along those lines is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Nick Letty, another guy traded from the Blackhawks. We talked about this earlier. I mean, he was kind of a a third-pairing guy, was really just starting out on those early cup teams, goes to the Islanders, like you say, and I think, I don't know about transformed, but him and Boychuk together, as you say, really kind of helped this team kind of catapult them 
into that playoff conversation when they were a team that was drafting first overall, hadn't been good my entire youth, our entire youth, right? And all of a sudden became playoff contenders, had some great series against the Penguins. And I think you're correct in saying that him, Boychuk, were very instrumental in making sure that that kind of transi- transition, excuse me, happened. eBay, that's, uh, that's about all I have for the Nick Letty deal. One final note here uh, for the podcast. Obviously, the NHL draft coming up here. Um, if you guys didn't know it, because we haven't said it enough uh, throughout this episode, Eric is a Calgary Flames fan, and I am an Edmonton Oilers fan. So we're going to talk a little bit here just about uh, you know the potential picks or uh, type of players that we think our teams uh, should be going for moving forward uh, at this draft here. eBay, you got a couple in mind when it comes to the, uh, the Flames? Yeah, I think for the Flames, I don't think there's necessarily a position of need over any other. I think that they can kind of draft wherever they need a little help supplementing the forward group. They could use a a couple more good D-men, right? So I think that they can go either way. Pipe dream for me is hope that Kent Johnson slips. I'm not too sure that will happen. But I think one guy that I would like to see in a Flames jersey is a guy, uh, sorry, got to find his name again here real quick, but Carson Lambos, defenseman from Winnipeg. He's 6'1", 197, kind of a rugged guy with some offensive skill. And I think in my mind, I want guys now for the Flames, if you're going to draft them, this team better have heart. Jacob Pelche has shown that, and I think that that's the way the Flames should go. You can sacrifice some talent if, if, if that's what it takes, but I think hard work trumps all, and I think this guy not only provides that, but also adds the offensive aspect from the blue line that could be huge on a Flames team in the future. You know what? Fair enough. I was, uh, when I was looking at you know, who the Flames could be taken, just like you said, I don't think there's one specific you know, point that they're, I guess, lackluster point, especially how Calgary's been drafting the last couple of years. It's actually been pretty good. Like you said, Zari, Peltier there. Um, I guess just how does their defense look? I know, obviously, there's you know, Shillington and, uh, and what's-his-nuts, Anderson there. You know, t- two young guys who are just starting to really get their legs in the NHL. Do they really need more young D-men? I mean, I guess it's never really a problem to have more, but. Well, here's the thing. We talked earlier, right? And there's the possibility they lose one four days or two days before the actual draft itself, right? Whenever those dates are. And to me, I just look at this roster. And at this point in time, they have, in my mind, four. uh, Their top four is pretty solid in terms of Giordano, Anderson, Tanev, and then Hannafin in there as well. And we talked, I think their top six is kind of also solidified in terms of however they try to make this. But I don't think anyone is going to come in and say there's a hole in it in terms of Kachuk, Gaudreau, Monaghan, Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, and Andrew Mangiapani. I would say those guys kind of fit in there. So I think to me, it's all about supplementing. And you could always have some more depth in that five and six pair. And you could also add some bottom six depth right away. So I think in my mind, could go either way. They did go for the last couple rounds. You mentioned Pelche Zeri center and left wing, right? So could be time to take a D-man. And I think they just spread it around. Brad Tree Living has always kind of been take the best player available. I don't think that's necessarily a bad way to go unless you have a glaring hole. And I don't see a huge glaring hole for the Flames. They definitely do need pieces, but I don't think it's something that's going to be addressed right away with the number 12 pick. So for me, I have the Calgary Flames taking the son of an NHL or Cole Sillinger, uh, obviously he was supposed to be on the under 18 team for Canada, but was out due to injury. 
I mean, just looking at his stats, 53 points in 48 WHL games, you know, as a, uh, what, 16-year-old there, um, and then 46 points in 31 games in the USHL. And from what scouts and uh, whatnot have been saying, his shot release and his, uh, his play, you know, on the hash marks, that sort of cycle type of game is really what, you know, produce his offense. So for me, looking at it, I like to see, you know, it's not just on the rush type of stuff. It's not just, you know, sort of a one-dimensional player, especially when you're making that jump from junior to pro. I like to see that, you know, he can create offense in multiple different ways there. So I think he would be a great fit for, uh, for the Flames there. He's also six feet, 200 pounds as an 18-year-old. Doesn't hurt, you know, to have, uh, have him centering Dylan Dubé, say. And I think you look at that too. I think that if you talk about a guy like this, that's kind of the the man that Daryl Sutter wants to draft, right? He likes up the middle, goalie, defense, center, and six feet, 200 pounds. If he can throw the weight around too, I mean, that's a, a Daryl Sutter player in my mind. So it wouldn't shock me. I don't hate it again. I just kind of, you know, there's a few guys there. I think there's a lot to, to choose from. And I think, as we've said, it's always a crapshoot, but this year too with OHL guys not even playing or playing overseas and you have, guys who went WHL then he goes to the USHL I mean it's going to be a a weird year all around in terms of the draft and could go anywhere uh now eBay do you want to start off with an Oilers pick or do you want me to start off with my Oilers pick it's your team you go ahead okay so I'm not exactly sure if this is how you pronounce his name but chat Chaz Lucius I don't know his last name pardon I think so I'm not too sure that's how I would pronounce it yeah, like, you, you, you know who I'm trying to say, at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, based on what I've seen in stats and whatnot, the guy is an absolute goal scorer. He was a goal per game in both of the U.S. developmental leagues that, uh, that he's played in this past year. Uh, he was almost a goal per game uh, the season before that. Seven goals in six games at the uh, under-17 championship. Uh, and he's committed to Minnesota, so maybe that'll give him a little cup, a uh, couple more years to develop there. But he's also six feet and a winger, so I think all those are huge to me. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about it. Oilers' lack of depth. You know, they they don't have to worry worry that much about protecting a player. Getting a guy like this, you know, who has that size, who has that straightaway speed, that you know, nobody can keep up with McDavid, but try his best to keep up with McDavid and then pot some goals. I think that's what we need. Plus, Oilers have drafted however many defense in the last however many years. For once, I don't feel like Oilers defense, defensive prospects are the downside of the organization. So I think we need more forwards here. Yeah, I think the only question, I guess, is that does he last at 20 for the Oilers? That might be a tough sell. The one I was thinking, and hear me out before you totally shoot this down, but uh, what about a goalie, Sebastian Casa? I mean, just, just uh, you look at it, I know obviously this team has Stuart Skinner, who they're high on as a prospect, but you can't totally guarantee on goalies. And we just spent the first 20 minutes talking about a team in the lightning that have Andre Vasilevsky, who was the 19th overall pick and look what he's turned into. And I, you know, you can argue as well, this team does have obviously Skinner in the, in the trenches, but you look at the Florida Panthers, they signed a guy in Bobrovsky for eight years and then drafted Spencer Knight in the first round right away too. Right. And this team has Mike Smith, potentially if they resign him, who's going to be 40, he's not going to be around much longer. Miko Koskinen is 
is Miko Koskinen. I mean, he's not great. He's overpaid at what, four and a half million. He's not going to be there much longer too. This is a team that if you're going to make up for depth, goalie is the best way to do that. Uh, Carey Price did it for years in Montreal before age and injury caught up to him. Why not go big or go home? Because I know there's obviously that boomer bust potential and the, the bust hurts. But when you look at a guy at that top level, like Vasilevsky, like Carey Price, the boom could be huge for this team. Well, and Kosa, you know, obviously uh, former, I guess still current Edmonton Oil King. Current for now, uh, Edmonton Oil King. So, you know, I've heard and, and seen a little bit from him, but he's been sort of that 1A, 1B kind of guy since he was 16 for the Oil King. So he does have that pressure put on him. I would not be against it. Uh, I guess the Oilers took uh, Rodrigue. Is that his last name? Olivier Rodrigue. Um, what, two years ago in the second round. So I think we have some goalie prospects who, who have some potential moving forward. But, you know, similar to what, what we said with D-Man, I guess, you know, you, you can't really have too many good goalies in your system. That's not really possible. So I wouldn't be against it, but it probably wouldn't be my first pick. Trust me as a Flames fan, we took Mason McDonald in the second round. John Gillies was supposed to be the next one. Tyler Parsons is still around, supposed to be the next one. It doesn't hurt to, to kind of hedge your bets on goalies. Hey, Dustin Wolf is next, and there's actually some promise with him. Hey, there was promise with Gillies and Parsons too, and, you know, hip injuries and Parsons just never did anything. But, you know, there, there's, there's always been promise, and – we're still looking for the goalies in Skippersoft. Had to go sign Markstrom. So you know, I'm just saying, don't, don't totally throw it out. You may have prospects there now, but who knows? I mean, again, you guys are rolling with 40-year-old goalies. I'm sure you guys had prospects before this. So just going to say. You know what? Fair enough. And you're right. You know, things could change. Who knows? Um, as well as an Oilers fan, I'm not super happy with the number 20 pick. Um, if they could either trade up or trade down, I would like that more. You know, I think there's some, there's some guys right around the number 10 overall pick, which I know you're asking for a lot. You're having to give up a lot, but there's some guys around the 10 overall pick Mason McTavish specifically, who I would love to see in an Oilers uniform, or I think that they should drop down, get some more assets. And then, you know, if you want to pick a guy like Kosa. 27 say or you know a little further back I think he would still be available there and I think you know you could get maybe another second rounder or something a little more out of that if I'm Ken Holland I think the only move if you do make one is to trade down seeing as you don't have a second or third pick round pick that is or even a fifth round pick in this year's draft so if you move up I think that's that's tough because again you don't pick for for three more rounds then also two you're probably going to have to give up a pick next year and or a prospect uh, yeah exactly and you are your second rounder next year is already tied up in the Duncan Keith conditions which I don't think are going to come true but but I mean again this team also doesn't have a third or fourth round pick next year so this is a team that does not have as many picks as you would maybe like for a team that again I don't think is as close to a cup as you would expect or hope to see as an Oilers fan kind of that weird limbo right like you're not quite a contender but you're definitely not rebuilding right now right you you still want some good prospects and some some future assets but you got to get good now as well so no it's definitely a, a different 
different times and expansion draft, whole nother thing you got to think about. So, no, it should be interesting uh, moving forward here, eBay. I wish uh, I wish we had all the answers, but uh, unfortunately, we don't right now. You know, by this time next week, we might after uh, you know everything's all said and done here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We're definitely going to see a major shift, and it's going to be fun to finally see what team the Seattle Kraken is going to ice this upcoming season. They released the preseason schedule September already. It's crazy that we've been talking about Seattle for years now. It seems like it's been a long time since they released the jerseys and everything, and now it's we're about to see 32 teams in the NHL and what should be a relatively normal NHL season here too. I mean, the Jays are coming back to Toronto end of the month. It's, it's, a, it's a big time for, for sports and just life in general, so it's exciting. Well, and something we haven't even touched on, maybe rightfully so, but NBA championship is uh, going on right now. Game five is tonight, Saturday night, for uh, anybody who's not listening to this right after we release it. Um, but yeah, no, it's just huge time across the entire board. Tokyo's coming up here pretty quick. Holy <laughs> shit. Stampede is back. It's showdown Sunday this weekend. It's, it's a good time. Hey, speaking of the Stampede, I saw a couple uh, bull riders that you and I had talked to here in Lloyd Minster on the TV. And I was like, holy shit, I've talked to this guy before. Dakota Butter still lighting it up, still killing it. I mean, these guys are doing well. It's obviously not the same because the PBR guys aren't there, but there's some still good quality competition. Did you see Garrett Green get knocked out in the shoots? Oh, it was bad. The bull reared up and smacked the back of his head on his face. Guy was out, didn't even get to ride that day. It was, it was, it was tough. It was like that quick. That was a terrible snap. That's better. It was a terrible snap, but yeah, it was all of a sudden just lift up, boom, knocked him out. Thank God he was wearing a helmet because I couldn't imagine his face after if he wasn't. A freaking horn into your forehead or something like that. That would be uh, not fun for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, understatement of the year. Uh, eBay, any any final thoughts or final notes here uh, before we wrap up? No, hopefully the Flames keep all their players. We'll see what the what the teams look like here coming up. We'll probably see some big moves here. Free agency is going to start here. I've been hearing Gabriel Landeskog to the Oilers. I don't believe it, but I've been hearing it. So there'll be lots to talk about coming up. And everybody else, stay cool. It's supposed to be 36 here in Lethbridge on Monday. So hopefully you guys are all staying cool, keeping hydrated, because it's a hot one this summer. Yeah, guys, for sure, especially in the middle of this heat wave here for the Canadian Prairies. Uh, as always, check out the social medias, guys. Instagram and TikTok at Nux underscore and underscore pucks. Twitter is Nux and Pucks. And then the website, www.nuxandpucks.com. Please check it out. And uh, yeah, have a fantastic week, everybody.